Sports. See you tomorrow night. Tonight, why colleges suddenly believe in free speech. Our university embraces a commitment to free expression. Go colonize somewhere else. Why'd you tear that flyer down? What are you doing? I'm taking those off. If you're going to do it, do it with pride. I'm very proud. I just don't want to talk so, so to you. So what's your name? What happened to naming and shaming those who didn't bend at the knee to BLM? Violence, particularly violence against Jews, anti-Semitism, seems to have found a place of tolerance on the campus. Knockout. And Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. Bud Light sales plummet almost 30% year to year. Could the $100 million deal with the UFC backfire? I'm the biggest advocate of biological females. If I said my views on transgenders, I would get kicked off Instagram. And Ron DeSantis' Achilles heel. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. Why the presidential hopefuls' cowboy boots aren't meant for walking. What they're trying to say with this is that in your boots, you have heels. Now, is his footwear emblematic of another problem? Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, how free speech suddenly became a thing again. That concept of free speech went on pause during Me Too and BLM. Then every microaggression had to be punished. Every woman must be believed. And questioning mask mandates got you banned from Twitter. But now that speech on college campus calls for violence against Jews or celebrates the murders of Jews, it must be protected. So from the river to the sea, that's Palestine from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, wiping out the state of Israel. Intifada calls for the continued violent uprising against Jews, not only in Israel, but worldwide. Yet at Washington University in St. Louis, professors sent a letter claiming Arab and Muslim students are the real victims. We must protect the value universities offer as spaces for mobilizing against injustice and critiquing ongoing forms of oppression. Historically, universities have been an essential space for students to stand in solidarity with anti-colonial, anti-racist, anti-sexist, and anti-extra-activist struggles globally. Anti-extra-activist. That's a new one. We'll look it up. And the issue here is simple. Campuses are no longer safe spaces for Jewish kids. And how can any kid feel safe when people are chanting for your death? Evidently, at Washington University, the rights of the terrorists outweigh the rights of the Jewish kids. At Yale, a Jewish student wrote in the newspaper about the Hamas attacks. The paper issued a correction. Editor's note, October 25th, this column has been edited to remove unsubstantiated claims that Hamas raped women and beheaded men. They have since issued a correction to the correction. We'll get to that in a minute. But the same newspaper about the gay nightclub shooting in Orlando Uh, Queer rights are under attack. The editorial board condemns the heightened violence and moral panic against queer and transgender communities in the United States. Yale about the war in Ukraine. Yale has a particular responsibility to speak out against injustices. Hmm. The moral clarity in all this came from two editors of the Yale Daily News. They were there more than two decades ago. It shocks the conscience that a generation of students who implore us to believe women 
who allege rape is suddenly willing to disbelieve the evidence of their own eyes when the women raped are Israeli. The hypocrisy is breathtaking. It is breathtaking, but it's actually not that surprising. It's coast to coast. We'll go to Stanford. The newspaper there writes that keeping Stanford's speech free, the expression of beliefs that we may consider immoral, inflammatory, or even factually incorrect, all in the shared interest of our own speech not being silenced for these very reasons. That is particularly rich, given the school's hand in censoring speech on Twitter during the pandemic through its Internet Observatory program. Back then, simply questioning COVID orthodoxy was dangerous. It must be stopped. And there is speech now deemed dangerous on campus. When an advocacy group hired a truck to expose students leading pro-Hamas groups at Harvard and other schools, well, the schools took action. Harvard created a task force to protect the kids, not the Jewish kids, but the kids justifying the killing of Jews. According to Harvard, they're the real victims. So again, free speech is a thing, but only for certain people. We bring in Bacha Unger-Sargon, opinion editor for Newsweek, and Ken Marcus, former assistant U.S. Secretary of Education for Civil Rights. Ken, I want to start with you. If, oh, there's Colby Hall. That's not Ken. Colby, are you there? The Colby's there. All right, here's Ken. Ken, we now we have Ken. All right, Ken. Um, I want to start with you. If the Biden administration wanted to put the thumbscrews to these schools over over these protests and over their condoning of of the of the calling for the destruction of Israel and the murder of Jews, how would they do it? Uh, good to be uh, with you, Leland. I will tell you that there are lots of different ways. Right now, they are waiting for complaints to come in. And they are sending out links uh, for people to tell them what's happening on campus. That's not a bad thing, but it's also not the right thing. The fact is that the Department of Education under uh, President Biden has the power simply to direct its own investigations. It also has the power to develop nationwide uh, proactive compliance reviews. It doesn't have to wait. It could go out there tomorrow. All they really need is access to Google or News Nation to see all that they need to know in order to direct a proper investigation. They should be out there. Should They should be doing it tomorrow. So, in other words, if they wanted to do this in the way that they have about transgender issues or they have about Me Too issues, they could use those same tools here, but they're choosing not to. Well, they've chosen not to so far. I've urged uh, okay. them to do so, and and let's give them a little time. But the fact is, it's been weeks, and we've not seen from them the action yeah. that we should. Bacha, uh, you and I have talked about this problem for a long time, and I, I believe it's one of those things that happens slowly and then very quickly. There was the rise of anti-Semitism, and now we see um, the, the threats now piling up on on streets. Um, Yale News has now issued a new correction to the correction saying that they shouldn't have had those editor's notes. But uh, so much of the discussion comes back to, well, is it free speech? Is it not free speech? You know, it's anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is bad. And yeah, it's anti-Semitism. I'm wondering, though, if by calling things anti-Semitism now, uh, we're sort of whitewashing what it is because it's more than anti-Semitism. It's calling for the murder of an entire group of people. It's calling for another Holocaust. And I'm wondering, and even the White House now has been forced to say anti-Semitism is a problem. We haven't gone far enough. 
So I totally agree with you about the utter hypocrisy here, right? The same students who needed a safe room to recover from the sight of Ben Shapiro's face now demanding the right to call for the genocide against the Jews. And then the universities just totally crave and capitulation to them. Here's the problem, Leland. It's that they've discovered the values that you and I believe in, right? That all of good Americans should believe in and should apply across the board, right? Free speech is extremely important. Silence is not violence. Chanting is not violence, right? The entire United States is built on that idea. And so it's very complicated here. On the one hand, the hypocrisy is disgusting and deeply anti-Semitic. These institutions are just filled with rank cravenness and anti-Semitism, both the leadership and the students. At the same time, we don't want to make the mistake that they made for other groups, for transgender students for other groups, right, and say that, you know, we're going to criminalize their speech just because it is ugly. No, that's a, that's a great point. And I think about, say, Harvard and Stanford during BLM, Harvard headline, a note to readers, Black Lives Matter, this historic moment demands that we fulfill our mission to report ethically and hold power accountable more than ever. Stanford, in solidarity with black community, we recognize the power of journalism, our ability to use our platform to uplift black voices and narratives. If only you replace that with Jewish voices and narratives, um, it would be fair. But life isn't fair. Ken, this is my question. There's a difference, right, between having the right to say something, and undoubtedly, Bacha makes a good point. Uh, the First Amendment still exists. Either you believe in it or you don't. Um, but there are consequences to your speech, and I'm wondering what you make of these universities then taking that next step, right? It's one thing to say you can say it. It's another thing to say, well, when companies say they're not going to hire you because of what you say, well, then we're going to provide legal help, that we're going to enable and protect and celebrate you saying it. You know, Richard Delgado, the critical race theorist, once argued that the question of when the First Amendment is invoked and when it is not is an an inherently political question. And it seems as if college administrators are vying to prove him right by using politics and only politics to decide when they think something is First Amendment protected and when it isn't. Again and again, we are hearing college presidents turn into First Amendment purists when it comes to protecting perpetrators of anti-Semitism. But if you look at their record, and often it's on the scorecard of the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, you'll find that when it comes to anyone else, they are not so protective of free speech, certainly Mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, conservatives and others who have views that are inconsistent with what is considered appropriate uh, within the higher education orthodoxy. So their decision about who can speak and who cannot really has less to do with the Constitution and more to do with their own politics. Bajay, I only got a couple of seconds left, but I want to give you the last word here. Are you in a way surprised by the pushback from the Jewish community. And by this, I mean, this is the first time we've seen the Jewish community really coalesce around a single issue. And I feel it so people are starting to feel frightened, literally. And there's the fight or flight. And during Nazi Germany, the Jewish community learned an awfully difficult lesson about what to do when people say they want to kill you. And I think that that has now been awoken once again, has it not? 
You know, I'm hearing from some people that they feel afraid. I don't feel that way. Um, I feel that for students to cower is to give Hamas a second victory. And I know that's a harsh thing to say because it is extremely unpleasant to be surrounded by people chanting genocidal chants about your people. But we have to be proud. We have to be strong. We have to think mm. about what Israelis their age are facing um, and stand up for who we are and not cower to these sociopaths. Oh, that, that's a fair, that's a fairly strong order of the day. It is great to see both of you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Obviously, uh, any of the folks involved in this on the other side are always welcome on the program. We'll see you both soon. Presidential candidates get defined by funny things. And for some reason, people have a lot of questions about Ron DeSantis's cowboy boots. But people do wear cowboy boots with a suit. That's right. So I'm not going to fly. Okay, I, that's, uh, that's just a crazy it, thing. We're to proud do. of it. <laughs> but there were no cowboys in Florida, Ron. Oh, no, yeah, you should try Florida. We're one of the top cattle states in, in America. Once really? you go from the beach, you go to the interior of Florida, nothing but cattle ranches. Why don't you wear tennis shoes and dress shoes? Uh, I do wear tennis shoes when I work out. Yeah, 100%. You do? Yep. Okay. Okay, so what was missing from all of those sound bites was the discussion about whether or not Ron DeSantis's cowboy boots were designed specifically to make him taller. And a lot of people on social media have suggested that he has devices inside his cowboy boots that could add three, four, five inches to his height. Nobody would have dreamed that about Ronald Reagan or Bill Clinton or George W. Bush. Bush wore cowboy boots all the time, as did Reagan. But the very fact that we're talking about it is a problem for Ron DeSantis, News Nation contributor, founding editor at Mediaite. Colby Hall is here. Uh, Colby, I think the bigger problem, right, is that it could kind of be believable. Like you, you don't just dismiss it out of hand when you hear that it could be a five-inch heel. No, uh, not at all. It, there's, there's definitely sort of like you raise your eyebrows and you think, yeah, it's possible. I think it's appropriate that we're talking about this issue on Halloween because political theater comes with costumes. And I mean, Ron DeSantis claims that he's 5'11". His old roster when he played baseball for Yale said as much. After people fudge their height. There's never been in modern times a president that was elected that was smaller than 5'11". So I think he's, it appears as though he's giving himself a little bit of a lift. But you know what? Joe Biden has hair implants and Ivanka Trump has a chin implant, I think. So you know, is anybody doing uh, bad? Eh, you know, it's sort of comes no, part of the course. I think your point is that it's tough for him that he's getting defined by this. That's the tough thing. Well, I, I guess it's one because of those. Now, to, yeah, to me, it's one of those things, though. It's sort of the knock on him is that he's inauthentic, right? That he's playing the role. He'll do anything for the role. And and once you get branded like that, um, you know, that then it's really hard to shake it. I think about past past presidents who've, who've gone gone that way, or past presidential candidates, John Kerry windsurfing. The, the thought was that he was an elitist jerk. Uh, and then he's out windsurfing off the coast of Nantucket, and everybody goes, oh, well, that's what the rich people do on their summer vacation. Uh, there's Michael Dukakis. Um, he was, you know, fighting the wimp factor uh, in more ways than one, or the dunce issue. And there he is in a tank with a helmet on. Uh, and it it plays into the narrative where if it was the if it was the very same kind of knock on a different man that was perceived differently, it kind of be dismissed. Or with Ivanka Trump, everybody sort of accepted as a a thing. 
Well, I, absolutely right. It's sort of, it, um, every sort of stereotype or kind of caricature exists because there's a width of truth, right? And so if, if we thought differently of DeSantis to begin with, this wouldn't really have lasting power. But the fact that he has this sort of, you know, inability to connect and perhaps inauthenticity and these videos of him walking funny as though he's walking like on his tippy toes in cowboy boots. And, and there was also the white boots that he wore when he went to the disaster area that just looked sort of strange. Unfortunately for DeSantis, every time we see him now uh. on a campaign event, we're going to be thinking like, is he really that tall or these there was an image where yeah. he was standing next to Ti- Tiger Woods, and he was taller than Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is six foot yeah. one; like that's legit. I don't think he's six foot one. So, is he wearing lifts? And uh, there's a probably there's the picture of where he's walking, and he just his gait just doesn't look normal. It just you, you look at it. It was in go, the tees. Okay. You showed it in the tees, and it's yeah. like, what's going on, dude? Like, why are you walking like yeah. that? Yeah. Well, there, there you go. Um, hey, Colby, thank you very much. We'll talk soon. Coming up, the Pentagon gives a rare on-the-record briefing on UFOs. Did we get closer to figuring out if these are pictures of aliens or something made in China? And Bud Light cannot make anybody happy. They just made a deal with the UFC to beef up their manly image, and already it's backfiring. I'm the biggest advocate of biological females. If I said my views on transgenders, I would get kicked off Instagram. Russia's aggression against Ukraine. Not in the face of an intensifying strategic conversation. Cease fire now! Stop funding this brutal massacre! That's from a Senate hearing today about military aid for Israel. Only pro-Hamas folks, as we have told you, want a ceasefire. That's what the folks were chanting for. Very briefly, as we laid out last night, a ceasefire only benefits Hamas. Hamas is going to use the lull in fighting to regroup, rearm, rebuild its military structure. We'll use the lull in the bombing to move the 239 hostages, giving up any intel advantage the Israelis have. Aid supplies will stream into Gaza. History tells us much, if not all of them, will be stolen by Hamas. We told you this call for a ceasefire would happen. And calling for a ceasefire allows one to be pro-Hamas while pretending to be a humanitarian. And it's putting President Joe Biden in a domestic and international pickle. The New York Times notes the administration has become more critical of Israel's response to the Hamas attacks, a shift that U.S. officials attribute to the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. And yes, people are suffering in Gaza. But Mr. Biden is falling into an age-old trap by assuming protesters actually care about the Palestinians. This is a fallacy. The best thing that can happen for suffering Palestinians is eliminating Hamas. George Will here is Pulitzer Prize winning columnist for The Washington Post, News Nation senior contributor. What do you make of this shift over the past three or four weeks, three weeks, for, from the Biden administration to lockstep, full-throated support to, of Israel to you must follow international law, which to me is a little bit like the when did you stop beating your wife question. The energy in the Democratic Party is on the left. And something momentous has happened, Leland, in the last 20 years. For two centuries, from the 19th and 20th century, anti-Semitism was on the right. Anti-Semitism has now migrated to the left. And this is a shock to Mr. Biden because there is a pro-Hamas caucus in the Democratic Party, just as there is a pro-Putin caucus in the Republican Party. It's interesting when you, th- when you think about all of the people who voted 
against supporting Israel within the Democratic Party. It is a, it's a real group. 48% of those 18 to 24 support Hamas versus Israel. It's, a, it's very simple um, when you look at the polling. I'm interested in the, the line that keeps coming out of the administration about international law. We heard that today in these hearings. Take a listen. Don't we have an obligation not only to state that expectation, but to ensure that our support is used in a manner that complies with the laws of war and U.S. law? That's my question, Mr. Secretary. Yeah, we, we will continue to uh, emphasize to you know, our allies here the necessity to account for the civilians that are in the battle space. They are a part of the battle space. They must account for them. War is a messy situation. And what I'm wondering is, is that if by simply continuing to talk about the civilians, the international law, international law, and not just say, we as the United States hold Hamas responsible for the civilians in, in Gaza, if the Biden administration isn't making its own problem worse. The people of Gaza have been hostages long before the Israelis were taken hostage by Hamas. They were the hostages to Hamas. And those who say Israel has a right to defend itself, but not violently, what are they talking about? Leland, Israel was founded three years after the Holocaust for one great reason. Jews would never, they said, be dependent on others for their safety, and they're certainly not going to be dependent on the whims and whims of public opinion. Well, it's certainly not the whims or whims of public opinion in the United States. Where does this go from here? Uh, and I'll give you my projection a little bit that the, the louder the calls for Israel to pull back, uh, the more aggressive Israel has to become because they have to get this done quicker. I think that's right. And I think people are simply not understanding how indifferent Israel is because of its core function, safety, to public opinion. They would like to be liked, but they know the cost of being liked. They would have to say, well, okay, we will temper our response. They live next door to Hamas. Hamas is predatory sadism. We saw this. And the idea that they have to accept the sadism and then stand back, Israel was founded to yeah. reverse that whole premise. It's interesting. We're learning now that it's not just the 240 hostages that Hamas took. They're keeping 500 Americans uh, inside Gaza that are already there to use as bargaining chips. Mr. Will, thank you, sir, as always. Good to see you. Good to see you, sir. As much as Bud Light wants to quit Dylan Mulvaney, it can't. It cannot shake their brief relationship with the trans influencer. And it was brief, only one day. But Bud Light has now started a new relationship, a $100 million deal with the UFC, and that has its own problems. Here is MMA fighter Sean Strickland. You know how I feel about transgenders. I go hard, just what I do. I'm the biggest advocate of biological females. If I said my views on transgenders, I would get kicked off Instagram. Uh, yeah, and he said a lot of things that we probably can't air here on this program. Sean Strickland says he's going to fix Bud Light and applauds them for, quote, doing the right thing. Bud Light's decision, of course, didn't have anything to do with right or wrong, but rather dollars and cents. Revenue for the parent company, InBev, was down 13%. They noted that sales to retailers were down primarily due to the volume decline of Bud Light. Here now, editor and publisher of Beer Business Daily, Harry Schumacher. Harry, it's good to see you as always. You kind of predicted this whole thing uh, would happen and it would play out in this way. We're glad to have you back. 
Until Bud Light has, and I hate to use this term, some type of moral clarity over who their customer is and what their customer wants, is it possible for them to recover? Uh, well, I, it hasn't so far, Leland. I mean, they've, the Bud Light itself has been down in volume about 30% since June. And it's stuck exactly there, right between 27 and 31%. It really hasn't moved. And it hadn't gotten better despite all the spending, the vast increase in marketing spending over the summer, and uh, new partnerships like you mentioned, the UFC, which is just getting started. Um, but they released their earnings this morning. And I guess the good news is is that they haven't lost any more share. And so that that's the current spin, but it's still, it's still rough for those guys. Yeah. Uh, from the Hill, how a 15,000 Bud Light giveaway needlessly cost InBev 27 billion referring to their market cap. Um, and, and obviously the Dylan Mulvaney thing continues to snowball. I guess the question is, and you report on this, has there been any thought among the executives at Bud Light to just issue a mea culpa and say, Hey, look, we're sorry. We screwed up. We're going to learn from this or uh, from a political correctness standpoint, are they unable? Uh, they're unable. Um, you know, I, it, first of all, it's not part of AB's culture to ever issue a, a mea culpa. It hasn't been that way huh? for 100 years. Um, they've always been the largest brewery in the world by far, and they, uh, they know it. Um, as far as a mea culpa, but I think you're right. Politically, with, and a lot of their own employees would have issue with it. And, it, you know, issuing an apology would be a, an admission that they did something wrong. And that is a tough thing to navigate in the, today's political environment. Yeah, it, it really is. So this is Dana White of the UFC talking about things. Take a listen. They do a lot of great things. They employ 65,000 people in this country. They take care of farmers. I'm going to focus on the good that they do. We are very aligned in many different areas. Can simply hiring one group, one one influencer cancel out another influencer, especially when there's now people who are saying, hey, we're not going to buy Bud Light because of the connection to the UFC. Once you've taken a stand on one thing, don't you kind of have to own that and take a stand on everything? Uh, no, I, I don't think AB feels it in those kind of uh, that kind of framing. And I think Dana White. I mean, that you couldn't ask for better PR, unearned PR. I mean, you know, he laid down all the veterans they've supported, um, the farmers they support, uh, uh, the folds of honor. You know, they've done that for years. And for them to say it, it's not as resonating. And, you know, Dana White made a point to say, yeah, you know, I don't it's not about the money. I already have enough money. Um, this is about values. And, you know, the other thing that's really not being reported much is this is also a global deal. And remember, Modelo, the, the, the took over the number one spot for Bud Light in the United States, is owned by Constellation only in the United States. And Azure Bush owns Modelo everywhere else. And so huh. they couldn't do a global deal. And so I think that was attractive to the UFC. Yeah, it's kind of funny when I think about uh, you said when they said, you know, it's not about the money. Um, normally when tells you, somebody tells you what it's not about, that's exactly uh, what it's about. You know that as a journalist. I've, le I've learned that as well. It's good to see you. Thank you uh, very right. much. The saga continues, and you will be back, Thank sir. You. Coming up next, the FBI director warns of increasing terror threats since Hamas attacked Israel. 
Will that refocus America's attention on the southern border? Here in the United States, our most immediate concern is that violent extremists, individuals or small groups, will draw inspiration from the events in the Middle East. One terrorist organization after another calling for attacks. Uh, and so we should we, wake up. It is a time to be concerned. It's hmm. a word for it from the FBI director today. Concerned, perhaps uh, he doesn't want to be accused of not seeing something, perhaps like the Israelis were after October 7th. Of course, it's almost hard to imagine Hamas or Islamic Jihad or Hezbollah hasn't sent people to sneak in through the southern border. It would be obvious military practice to have done it. We haven't heard much about the border lately or inflation either. The two issues that used to matter most to voters. Scott Tranter, data science director at Decision Desk HQ. Kurt Bardella, contributor for the Los Angeles Times. are here, gentlemen. It is good to see both of you. Scott, uh, be with you in a second. Kurt, to you on the issue of the border. Um, this was something that President Biden had real weakness on in the 2022 elections. Uh, does the attacks in Israel not just refocus, once everybody starts thinking about domestic politics again, refocus everybody on the southern border? And that's even before a possible attack. Well, I think that's part of the strategy right now we're seeing, particularly from House Republicans. When they unveiled their uh, funding proposal, they directly tied it to border funding. And this is something that we've seen House Republicans really talk about a lot. It's one of the reasons why they were upset with former Speaker Kevin McCarthy about making some funding deals mm -hmm. that didn't guarantee that funding for the border. They want to get back to that message. And let's be honest, we're seeing not just in southern border states anymore. We're seeing in places like New York that this is an issue that is moving the needle, that is impacting voters in a real way. They see the migrant crisis in their own backyard now, and it's something that they're very unhappy about. Well, and they're paying for it, right? We hear about all the New York City having to raise taxes, right. for shelters, all those things. Showing up in the polls. Yeah, 71% of people say they are not happy. I think that that's the angry emoji rather than just the not happy emoji. 57% want a wall. Look, Scott, you do polling here. Um, if you're the Biden administration, how worried are you about that black swan event, right? Some kind of the thing we were worried about post 9-11 of a few cells of Hamas terrorists at malls or at restaurants on a Friday night across America. Doesn't that completely change the presidential election? Absolutely. It is a black swan event. It is something that is, if it happens, it's on your watch. I mean, the brand new DDHQ News Nation poll released yesterday showed that 77% of Americans are, have a heightened, heightened sense of they're worried about terrorist attacks. That's a bipartisan issue. That's not just who, who are the other 23? <laughs> who are the other 23% there? Yeah, yeah. Um, th this comes in, look, and I think we see this in right track, wrong track, that Americans are feeling this general sense of unease, right? And it's, it's twofold. It's one about security. And the other thing is about economic security. Here's President Biden today uh, talking about the economy. Today, the Department of Labor is proposing a new rule, meaning that when you pay someone for retirement advice, they must give you advice that's in your best interest, not whether it gets them the best payday. My administration is going to continue to crack down on junk fees across the economy to protect consumers, promote competition, and give families across the country, as my dad would say, just a little bit of breathing room. Kurt, um, McDonald's revenue is now up to uh, $6.69 Strategic menu price increases, including an $18 Big Mac. And the dollar menu isn't a dollar. Yeah, yeah, well, they're, 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 that's the bigger one. Okay, spoken to, uh, Taco Bell, though, yeah. uh, what can you get? But no, because seriously, Kurt, at some level, when you've got a president talking about how much 
you can charge for extra seats on airlines. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, people are seeing this really painful inflation at the grocery store, at fast food restaurants, day in, day out in their lives. Is there anything you can really say? No. I mean, there really isn't, because like you said, listen, I think that the stuff on junk fees that he's doing, I think that's overall popular. People are are fine with that. But like you said, when it's the everyday things that you experience, when you go and order a burger and all of a sudden the tab is 20 bucks at McDonald's, you're like, what the hell is happening right now? And there's no magic phrase, word, catchphrase, slogan that's going to change any of that reality for the American people. And so the president is in a very tough spot there. The one thing he's got going for him, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, Republicans continue to self-sabotage by every time that they have these dust-ups over the speaker or something crazy, they are taking oxygen away from being able to focus on these issues that they could be gaining never, real ground with. Never underestimate Republicans' ability to screw things up. They're now tying aid to Israel to the IRS rather than just forcing President Biden to have a reckoning about Ukraine. The, a very obvious political wins that they could get that they're, they're missing. Scott, this is a question to you, though. Uh, public opinion of President Biden, 35 percent favorable, 58 percent unfavorable. It's near a record low for a president, uh, sim- you know, probably below where Jimmy Carter was, where Lyndon Johnson was and the like. How much of that is how they, the the issues, the economy, uh, security, border, and the like, how much of that is just sort of how they feel about him and whether he feels their pain and can do anything about it? And I'm wondering if it's possible to change that. So let me add the last part of your question. It's possible to change. The first part of your question is it's going to start feeling like that six to seven months from now. Right now, this is general sense, general feeling. Once these campaigns start spending millions of dollars branding themselves, I mean, we saw President Biden starting with Bidenomics, um, which is interesting considering inflation is the number one issue across all of our polls, all those types of things. It'll be interesting when it interplays, but he's going to have an opportunity to say, hey, I feel your pain, just like Bill Clinton did in the 90s, and maybe turn that around. But right now, he's got to, you know, it's got to go up for him. Well, I I feel your pain. I feel your fear. I feel all of these things. Um, Yeah, and you said it well. Never underestimate Republicans' ability (laughs) to screw it up. (laughs) Gentlemen, it's good to see you. Thank you very much. Coming up next, the Pentagon goes on the record about UFOs. If those incredible objects seen in gun camera video is really life from another planet. Hmm. What's the government's plan to fix it? when we come back. Maine EPA administrator in the area admits that there have been several missteps in the process. Residents say that the EPA says stuff publicly and then privately they say another thing. It's just really shocking to hear these things. It's clearly contaminated. Thank you for keeping this story alive. To find News Nation, go to joinin.com. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Elizabeth Vargas, and this is America's fastest growing cable news network. She was five. I saw her at 73. Nobody else had concerns. She wasn't participating and slept mostly. Her mom listened to her gut and brought her in. They assumed the reason was her dementia. Mom was right. Her daughter couldn't hear high frequencies. Instead, it was a profound hearing loss. And after helping her, educationally, she just took off. She's participating in life again. Find an ASHA-certified audiologist today at asha.org slash public. We got out of Washington State, and I think a week after, state went on lockdown for COVID. So then when we transitioned to Texas, it was very much so like, what are we going to do now? Operation Homefront has allowed our family to make something of ourselves again in the world after military. It's completely changed the way our life is. It took us from a hopeless situation, and now we're homeowners. We have a savings account. I'm the first one to own a home out of my siblings. 
Visit OperationHomefront.org to learn more. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, Operation Lifesaver here. Today, we're going to find out what delivery drivers know about railroad safety. What do you do if your vehicle gets stuck on the railroad tracks? Get out of the car. Correct. Do you take the pizza? No, then I call my boss. No, then you call the number on the blue and white ENS sign. And tell them I'm stuck on the crossing ID number. Exactly. Remember, get out, get away. Find the blue and white sign to save your life. Leave the pizza. See tracks, think train. For more information, go to OLI.org. The Pentagon has figured out a way to finally solve the alien UFO question once and for all. They're going to do it. And today, in order to help solve the problem, they announced a new website. And we looked up the website. It's up and running, although we couldn't see if it's working because, quote, this form is to be used for official business with the Department of Defense, knowing and willfully false reporting can be punished by fine or imprisonment. And since we don't know anything about UFOs and we don't want to go to jail, We didn't submit anything to see if the website works, but at least on first blush, it appears to be working better than the Obamacare website. It comes in response to News Nation reporting from a UFO whistleblower who said there are secret government programs to retrieve alien crashed vehicles and that the government has aliens. Uh, Cuomo has been doing a lot of reporting on this. Really? It's sort of like almost insulting for them to just say, hey, here's a website, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it yeah. is uh, kind of it is uh, such a typical kind of doing the minimum. For me, this isn't about look. It's it's good that people have a form they can fill out, whatever. It's about transparency. What do you know? If there's nothing to know, then tell at least the elected representatives of the American people why that's the case. Uh, but this, to me, is a story not about little green men. It's about transparency and the government making decisions uh, that they don't have to let the people who put them in power know what they're doing with their power. There's a lot of members of Congress who do not get access to the most secretive government programs, right? There's the what they call the yes. Gang of Eight, which is the, the House, minor, House Speaker, Minority Leader, uh, same on the Senate side, and the chairs of the Intel right. Committees. There, there's, there's all these different ways. And what I'm wondering is, is we've never heard from one of those people saying right things are being covered up and what i'm wondering is what gives the right of all of these other elected representatives who you and i both know leak leak like sieves because we get leaks from them all the time to know things that that may be uh in in the interest of the united states for our enemies not to know i'm with you on it and you know what bothers me even more is when i was watching those hearings and you see who the players are and more importantly who they're not What bothers me is that the people in power don't believe there's any advantage in this issue. It's not that they only care about what they can use against the other side and to shore up their own side. And and unless one party can prove that the other party's full of aliens, they don't want anything to do with this issue because they see no advantage. So they just ignore Uh, it. I I guess I don't. 
I don't see that they ignore it. I see that perhaps that, you know, if the speaker at the time or others had been told, hey, look, uh, there, there, there may be a top secret program that involves either uh, these are U.S. government crafts or they're, they're Chinese or Russian or whatever they are. Uh, therefore, they know, and they also know about weapons programs that the rest of the House doesn't know about. I go on. What I can't figure out, though, is like the, the way the DOD is handling this, right? They have this w- website where if you are a member of the U.S. government or have a security clearance or part of the defense you know, con- contracting groups, you can submit very sensitive information online. Of all things, right? Don't they realize the internet is not secure? Like, I, I, it just boggles my mind. Hey, maybe the only way we find out is if somebody hacks it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I mean, may, may, maybe it's a good thing uh, that it's there because they're not going to tell us. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, okay, when somebody hacks the UFO website, um, they're coming to you for the idea. I had absolutely nothing to do with this segment, even though I was here for it. We'll see you in about 10 minutes, Chris. All right, I'll see you later. <laughs> coming up next, flags like this one seen in Brooklyn in the march for Hamas. If only gay marchers really knew what Hamas thinks of the gay community. We heard from a lot of you about our segment last night on gays for Gaza. In fact, uh, at many marches, you now see a combo version of the Palestinian and gay pride flags. To be clear, for example, this man, who's ripping off his clothes to show you a Palestinian flag, wouldn't last five minutes in Gaza. Being gay in Gaza does not work. Hamas throws suspected gays off buildings or drags them behind motorcycles. It's not just Gaza and the West Bank. A group beheaded this man, 25 years old, for being gay, uh, that gays for Gaza didn't march then. Iran hangs gay systematically. Imams both in the West Bank and Gaza call on Arabic TV channels, call for the murder of gays, and the irony is rich. Palestinians look at gays and Jews about the same way and talk about them about the same way. As we said, we heard from a lot of you about this segment. Author of God vs. Gay, The Religious Case for Equality, Rabbi J. Michelson, perhaps looks at things a little bit differently than we did and joins us now to discuss it. Hi, Rabbi. Hi, great to be here, Leland. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I understand you may take a slight issue with my view of these things. <laughs> well, I should state, you know, kind of my bona fides. I, I definitely don't agree uh, with some of the political positions that are being put forth by these kind of hard left uh, LGBTQ organizations, but I don't quite condemn them in the same way that others might. All right, this is, I, look, there's a point to be made that. The, the Palestinian people, and by that I mean innocent Palestinians, you lived in Israel for a long time, I did as well. And there is a group of people who just want a better life for their kids. They want to live in peace and harmony. There is that group inside both Gaza and the West Bank. Uh, it, at times it can be a small group, but it's there. I understand standing up for them. I get that, and I get it at a time when, of heightened tensions that, that it's worth discussing. What I don't understand is the marches that we have seen, and we'll, we'll put up some of them, uh, of the, gay, the gays in Gaza group marching and chanting. Take a listen. All right, and then there was this one from the river to the sea. Take a listen. All 
All right, and the, the banner says gays for Gaza right there, and at the same time they're chanting for the destruction of the state of Israel. And I'm just wondering how, how to square that. Well, let's take a step back. So again, first, I, it's kind of unusual because I'm defending a position I don't agree with. But just to give it its fair, you know, its fair due, yeah. you know, most most LGBTQ people, we've been persecuted for who we are. And that leads to a certain kind of solidarity with other people who we think or who we perceive are being persecuted. So again, I have a, a different read of Israel-Palestine politics, but it is definitely the case that there are thousands of innocent Palestinians who've been killed already in Gaza. That doesn't say that the operation isn't justified. It just says that there are innocent people who are suffering. As far as I understand it, I'm sure you can find a couple of, you know, radicals who are actually for Hamas. And I would agree that that is a kind of ridiculous position. Uh, Certainly the people who I know, my friends, I have friends who marched in one of those marches in Brooklyn. Uh, They're not for Hamas. They're for Palestinians. They're for a ceasefire. uh, And that's, that's their belief. And for me, I don't see that. They're fully aware, I think at least the ones that I know, are fully aware that Hamas is a, is an Islamic fundamentalist organization uh, that has no space for, for feminism, let alone LGBTQ equality. Uh, that being said, there are Palestinians who are people and who are being, their, the perception is that they're being uh, oppressed and that they're being caught well, in the right, crossfire of this war. Wouldn't, I'll give you the last word, we got it 15 seconds. Wouldn't all those Palestinians who are being oppressed be better off without Hamas? Sure, but that's not what the the march is calling for ceasefire. The march is calling for people. And to me, I see it as a sign of integrity that a community